We just got done with Camp Sonap, studying the Word of God, very practical ways. And what I'm going to do tonight, you have a sheet that was handed out, and it kind of gives you a format, right, of some of the, the ways to go through and do a Sonap, taking a chunk of scripture, right, making your observation of it. We'll go through how to observe the text and then we'll go to interpretation, and we'll talk about how many, thing, or how many ways there are to interpret the text. Then we'll go into application, right? How do we take the text that we've just read, we've observed, we've interpreted, so we know it's exactly what it's meant to say is what it's saying, and then how do we apply that to our life? And then how do we solidify that with prayer? And this is to be done, right, in your quiet time, Whatever time you choose, right? You can do fast sonap if you want to. You can spend hours in a sonap, but it's that time that you take. If you're truly a follower of Christ, right? And you want to be changed, if you want to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? You're going to spend time in God's word. And so this is a practical application way that not just the youth, but all the way up into your 70s and until you decide to go be with Jesus or until he calls you home, right? This is a practical way to dive into scripture, right? So we're going to go over SONAP tonight. So we start off with scripture. So the scripture that we're going to start off with is Hebrews 4, 11 through 13. I actually started off, kicked off a SONAP camp with Hebrews 12, right? Just one instead of three, um, but talking about the word of God. And so if you guys could stand with me real quick. And we will read the word of God. <clears throat> Hebrews 4, 11 through 13. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Father, I pray again that your word um, would just jump off the pages, Father, that it would, it would become reality to us. I pray that as we go through this, that um, it wouldn't just be the observations that you've brought to my mind, but I pray that as we go through the text, that each one of us would see observations from uh, our own points of view. Um, and uh, we just... Thank you for your word and pray that it would be written on our hearts tonight. Amen. All right, sit down. We did this fun thing at camp. I almost thought about doing it here. I thought it would be like a fun, like interactive thing. We do these things called sword drills. Anybody ever do a sword drill, right? So we would do these sword drills. And so we would take, we would take the campers and we were all around the fire and we'd have them hold their Bible up in the air, right? Like this. Some of the kids were way faster than others. Uh, but by the end... I saw a lot of the kids who were frustrated because they weren't as fast get quicker, right? So it was more spread out. So what we would do is they'd hold the Bible up in the air, and then we would give them a text, right? So we would say, like, Romans 10, 11, and they'd pull their Bible down, and they'd flip it through it, and they'd get it, and they'd stand up, and the first one that stood up would read it, right? And then they'd get a candy tossed to them. So I was thinking about doing that tonight, uh, but I don't have any candy. So, you know, that kind of defeated the point. No, I'm just playing. I wouldn't done that from up here. It's unruly. Um, so we're going through the text. Uh, oh, and then also I do have to um, bring to attention that my flowery shirt that I'm wearing tonight 
is probably the closest that I will get to wearing a Hawaiian shirt. So Roger and Ben, this is my Hawaiian style. All right. So Hebrews 4, 11 through 13. So we picked this scripture, right? So the S of Sonap, the scripture, the text. So as you can see on your, um, on your paper, right? So turn to the side that says Bible study question sheet. I'm going to use this as a template to kind of go through and explain. And remember, this is practical, the practical way that we could study the Bible, right? So it says, determine the context, because context is king, right? I heard a, a story the other day while I was listening to a preacher, and he, he was telling a, a pseudo joke, and he was saying that this farmer from California had this guy from England come over, and he's talking about context, right, and the different ways that we say things. And the farmer was a fruit farmer. And so the English guy asked him, he was like, so what do you do with all the fruit? And he says, well, what we can eat, we can, and what we can't, we can, right? So you're using the can in the same way. So the English guy goes back to England, and he's telling his buddy the story, and he's like, this farmer, right, talking about his fruit, and he said, what they eat, they can, and what they can't, they tin, because they say tin instead of can, right? So it's just the, the context of the story changes, right, between the culture, just between England and here and the way that the words are spoken. And so context is everything when it comes to understanding the word of God. So part of that context, right, we see who is the one talking, right? So the first thing that we're going to look for in Hebrews, right, is we're going through Hebrews 4, 11 through 13, is who's the author? Who's the one that is speaking? Um, so some of the books of the Bible are very easy to point out who the actual author is, right? You have Romans, where Paul just starts out. He's like, I'm Paul, a bondservant of Christ. Hi, right? Or you have like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I wonder who wrote those books, right? But then you have some that you have to do a bit more digging to really find out who the author is, right? Uh, so you can go through in the context and you can see some of the writings and, and how it is. And lots of theologians have done massive amounts of digging and studying and to figure out who the authors are based on the verbiage sometimes and how they go through and they articulate things and when it was written. But unfortunately, uh, with the research that I've done and then all that I've come across, there's no real conclusion of who the actual author of Hebrews is. Um, so it was fun to dig in, but there's no real conclusion of who the actual person is. Um, so then we look at the next one. Who's the recipient, right? The recipient that I could see is a Jewish community mixed with Christians. And what I mean by that um, is that the people who he's talking to, all of them have not fully committed to Christ, right? Because some of them are thinking about that it might be a good idea to jump back into what they knew before in Judaism and the Old Covenant. And so the author is really trying to bring forth in Hebrews of like, no, this is what it's about. This is why we're here. Don't go that way. And you'll see as it's lined out even in the study that we have tonight. Um, so what are three things that have happened to get to this point? Um, so, or what have been talked about so far? So we're looking at the text and we look at the text to find out how we've come to this conclusion. Part of it for me um, is most Bibles, you know, depending on the kind of Bible you have, if you have a reference Bible or a study Bible, it's a great tool. Sometimes they have paragraphs in the beginning. 
um, that can give you a little bit more insight. You can do research at the touch of a button on the internet, going and finding out information. Um, but then just the context of Hebrews uh, is where I came to the conclusion um, that he's talking to a mixture of Jews and Christians or Jewish Christians, but from a Jewish culture, culture uh, within just the text that we read from 11 to 13. I feel like I'm going to cough. We'll see. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so what are three things? So the, the warning that is in verse 11 shows that he is not just talking to those that are justified by grace through faith, but also to those uh, who have to- haven't totally yet committed to Christ, right? So they're still kind of on the fence. They're saying that they want to be, but they haven't fully given their heart, right? It's like almost like the wheat and the tares is who he's talking to. Um, so we read the beginning of Hebrews to know that he refers to the the validation of Christ, right? Hebrews starts off with that. And I feel like I'm going to cough again. Just a sec. And then we look to the beginning of chapter 4, Hebrews 4.2. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them. Not Not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Um, Next, and encouraged to, oh, sorry. Kind of lost where I was at again. What is the one thing that is about to happen next? Um, An encouragement to hold fast to their confession of Christ as their Lord. Right, we're following this this study line that we have. Right, and the next thing would be an encouragement that's coming about. Um, if you could package the text into a single theme, what would it be? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so, what I wrote down uh, is a command to stay the course with integrity, for nothing is hidden from the Lord. And the main tool we can use to be diligent in our obedience to faith in Christ, that we may enter the Lord's rest. So we go on from there. Right. So we've gone over the scripture, we've determined the context of the scripture, and then we move to observation. So while observing the text, right, some of the things that we can look over the the note and find out some of the ways, it says read the text several times and make 10 to 15 quick observations and write them down, right? So you're just writing the things down that you observe right offhand. So some of the things that you can look for are repeated words, so when you go through and you read the text 11 through 13, some of the repeated words off, right offhand are to, the, is, and, of, right? Just making observations, random observations. Um, so the second would be unique words. So diligent, disobedience, sword, marrow, discerner, naked, when Adam and Eve realized they were exposed, naked, uh, verbs, let, enter, fall, discern, accord, Adjectives, diligent, living, powerful, sharp, piercing, open. So we can go through and we can look just from our observation, right? From a grammatical, if that's a word, uh, grammar standpoint uh, is being able to see some of the words that are, that are highlighted in these ways. Um, we can also make other kinds of, of observations, right? I've written a bunch of them down. Um, so the author includes himself in the, instruct- in the instructions by saying, let us. So you see in verse 11, he says, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. So he's not just talking to an audience, but he's also including himself, right? <clears throat> We've heard Paul say that before as well. When we look at Ephesians, when Paul is talking about the armor of God, he ends it with, right? 
I myself need to be disciplined so that I won't be disqualified, right, when I'm done preaching. Um, So we can see that the author is including himself in this, right? So we see that it says be diligent, which is steady, not wavering, uh, to enter the rest. So you have to be diligent to enter the rest. And there's a warning of disobedience, right, causing a fall. So we look through verse 11, and it's like, let us be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience, right? The example that they have of disobedience was the unbelief that the Israelites had. That's why they weren't able to enter into the promised land, which we'll get to. Uh, The word of God is alive and powerful in the way of its relevance to our lives just as much as the intended reader, the author was writing to, right? So the same words and encouragement that the author is giving to the Hebrews is the same words of encouragement that we ourselves can receive, right? It's not just the text that we're reading in and, oh, good for them, right? This is something that we ourselves, I'm, I'm observing that this is something that I can use in my life, that I can take this seriously. Um, it exposes the intent of our actions, sharp enough to penetrate uh, the severe or, and sever, the physical and pierce even to the division of soul and spirit. Um, so the word of God is powerful, right? It exposes things. As we read it, it unveils the things that we need to change, right? Because none of us are perfect. Everybody has things that they need to work on, whether big or small. The word of God is faithful, right, to show us how to change, The word is the lamp unto our feet, the light unto our path, right? It directs us and it shows us the way to go. We have to look for it, right? Uh, We cannot hide anything from the Lord. All things are seen by him, which is the great need for a savior, amen? And will be be paid in full, right? So the, the thing that will be paid in full is either on our account or by us. There's one way or the other, right? Through my observation, there's an account that's going to need to be paid. We all have a debt. So you're either saved by grace through faith and have received Christ, and he has paid that, he has atoned that for you, or you're going to come to that day that only the Father knows, and the account's going to be due. I'm very grateful with all that I am that my account is paid in full, and I pray that every one of you would have the same. So... These are observations that we make, right? We could sit here and we could go through and we can make tons and tons and tons of observations. The more time that you spend meditating on the word of God, the more observations that you can make, right? The more that you know someone's heart and you know their tendencies, the more that you'll understand they do this this way or they do that that way. And so you can make these observations of the things that they do and maybe understand why they might do them. I was just recently listening to um, a fitness guy, and he was talking about um, being in a, a course of getting trained, right? And going through this, this class uh, of being taught how to observe as a trainer. Um, and he was saying that they had to sit down at a playground, right? And they had to watch like one specific kid And just for like two hours, just watch what this kid does and write everything down. It's like two hours of just sitting there and writing down what the kid, like how many times can you write down, picks his nose, right? But he was saying after a while 
of sitting there and observing, right? He could see tendencies of what he was going to do. Oh, he's doing this. Oh, he, oh, he left that. Now he's going to go here again. Oh, no, he went there. Oh, he's going to jump off. I bet you anything he's going to swing off that bar, right? The longer that he watched, the, more, the easier the observations came. The more time that you spend in God's word, the easier your observations will come, right? When you first start, it's probably going to be pretty taxing. I can speak from experience, right? When you first really start to dive into the word of God and you're trying to look and like find the observations, you're like, what else can I observe? It says God and the and Bible and okay, what is he talking? Oh, there it says, therefore, what's there? Okay. But the more time that you spend in it, the more that will pop out, right? So with that said, the more time that you spend observing God's word, the easier the observations will come, okay? Now we'll move on to interpretation. See, I thought this would be fun, right? At first, I was just going to keep the I small and then the rest capitalized. Roger said it would look funner this way, uh, so I just kept the N capitalized for Sonap, right? So there you go, Roger. So <clears throat> as we look, right, to interpretation, uh, let's read from the top. Right? It's written out here. It says, there is only ever one interpretation. What does it mean? You're on the hunt for what the author means and what it says as understood by his original audience. So what we're looking for is what was God saying to the original audience through the author of Hebrews? Because the same thing that he was intending for them is the same thing that we can interpret for us, Right? And seeing that it is applicable, right, which will be next, right, there's one interpretation and then we'll see how we can apply it next. Because there's some things that there's one interpretation, but we can't apply it the same way as maybe they could, right? There's certain things in the text that are spoken of that are maybe promises to Israel or different things of that nature that we can't fully apply to ourselves. We can correlate and take good measure from it, but we can't claim it the same way. Pastor Ben has stood up here before and talked about promises, right, about specific scriptures that were meant for a different culture, right, in the way of for the Israelites, the, the children of God, but aren't the same promises that we can take in the same way, right? So there's one interpretation of the text, but how we can apply it might be different. Does that make sense? Um, so with that said, uh, Hebrews 4.11, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. So we can take from the text, the author is encouraging those reading or listening to go full send on their belief in Christ, so as not to fall short due to an unbelief like their ancestors. If you don't know the term full send, it means give everything that you have, Right? You can ask my friend, most of the things that I try and do, I pour everything that I have into it, right? Whether it's like doing something fitnessy or studying the word of God, or I try and give all of myself to it. And so here the author is encouraging us, right? Go full send on your faith. Don't hold anything back. Give it all to Christ. He's encouraging them as well. Those people who are in the audience who are kind of like, which way do I want to go? Do I want to stick with this crew that's, you know, going over this thing with Christ and the Messiah? And, or do I want to go back to what I knew in the old covenant? They were kind of on the fence. And he's encouraging them, 
Go all in, right? Be diligent. Stay the course. Stay steady so you can enter the rest because there's no other way, right? If we're disobedient, if we don't have faith, we will not enter the rest that is promised. The rest referred to is the rest offered through Christ's salvation that is only obtained by grace. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And I think it, Paul goes on to say the lest any should boast. But it's by grace that we have been saved. Nothing of ourselves, right? If you don't choose to submit your heart to Christ and believe in him and have faith in him and then show true belief in him by repenting and turning from your old ways, no good work without true repentance and a true heartfelt faith, no good thing is going to get you into that final rest. No good thing is going to get you into heaven. You cannot do it lopsided. It has to be all. has to be. Deuteronomy 1 gives insight to the disobedience or unbelief, right, that go hand in hand in the text, that they would have had knowledge of as Jews. So the people that the author is talking to, right, are in the Jewish community, So they know the history of their ancestors. So as we go back and we look, right, deeper into Hebrews, and you look at back in the beginning of of Hebrews 4, and he's talking about, when he talks about rest, and he's talking about in verse 11, he says, lest any fall according to the same example of disobedience. We've already seen the therefore, and when you see a therefore, you have to look back to see what the therefore is there for. Does that make sense? So let us therefore, oh, hey, we got to look back. So if we look back, right, and we see that all throughout, like the beginning of of four is talking about the Israelites in the wilderness and when they came up to the Jordan, right, and they were meant to go into Canaan into the promised land, right, and they sent out spies, right? Most of us probably know the story. And the spies go out and they come back with these grapes that are like ginormous, right? There's awesome stuff, but only Joshua and Caleb were like, there's these huge giants, but let's go in and take it. And I'm paraphrasing here, right? All the other guys who they sent were all scared. We can't do it. And what happened? Israel started to get complain, and they were bitter, and they were disobedient to God by their unbelief that God would give them what he promised them. And they're like, we're not going in there. And so God got mad, right? And he's like, fine, You don't want to go in there, go wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Your whole generation is not going to enter into the rest, right? You're not going to enter into the promised land. So the author's encouragement here is ringing all kinds of bells because they know the story of their ancestors, right? As Jews, they fully understand that their ancestors were not able to enter into the rest, enter into the promised land because of their unbelief. And so he's warning them, don't do the same thing that they did. Don't miss out because you're not willing to believe. The, the amazing part of this, right, part of the interpretation as we interpret, you know, who he's talking to in the context and the situation, the culture, and they had stuff memorized, right? But even back then when he's talking to the Hebrews, they didn't have anything but probably scrolls or scrolls that were hand down or copies of scrolls, Right? And they had stuff that was memorized from really young boys and stories that they had heard passed down from grandfather to father to, you know, generation to generation. We get the 
amazing privilege of not having to just hear it secondhand or thirdhand or fourthhand. We can just open our Bibles and we can look and be like, oh, yeah, wait. Oh, you're talking about, oh, hey, I know where Deuteronomy is in my Bible. It's right here. Oh, yeah, these are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel on the side of the Jordan in the wilderness in the plain opposite of Suf between Paran, Tefel, Laban. We can just open our Bible and we can look. You can go on your phone if you have your Bible app on your phone. Like you're able to just catch it right away, right? The people that he's talking to in this scenario, the author is talking to, they didn't have all the liberties that we have of being able to just open up God's word and look. But yet we find way more excuses than probably they did of why we don't do it. We don't have enough time. I got this going on. I got that going on, right? I can't divulge all this time to reading God's word (laughs) right there at our fingertips. Life and life more abundantly. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. This is good. For God's word is living and powerful. 1 Peter 1, 22 through 24, or 25. Uh, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Then Peter quotes Isaiah 40, verse 8. And he says, because all flesh is grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word by which the gospel was preached to you. The ability of God's word to penetrate and divide soul and spirit and joints and marrow show the true precision of the power of his word. It's living, it's powerful, it will endure, right? We used to have, there was this text that was up on the wall uh, at the last church that I was at, and it said, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that will forever be etched in my mind because we used to do these things of the kids could come up on stage on Sunday mornings and they would say a Bible verse, and about probably 50% of the kids who would come up on stage, they would come up and they would look at the sign and they would say, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Can I have my ice cream card? It was awesome, Right? Still, they were bold. They wanted that ice cream, but they came up and they spoke God's word, which God's word will not return void. But that will ever be etched on my mind. That scripture, the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's word, living and powerful. The author here, as he goes through, he's letting them know, right? He says, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest any fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and it's discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So he's speaking to them in the audience, and he's saying, even if you got your best fake face on, God sees your heart. You can put on as many masks as you want to. The King of kings and Lord of lords sees right through it. If you're not real, it's not real. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. 
For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You want to know the crazy awesome thing? Is that the King of Kings and Lord of Lords that can see into the depths of everything that you are, everything that you've done, everything that you ever will do, loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son to die a gruesome death. That's how much he loves you. The author is warning them that even the matters of the things unseen will be exposed by God's word, even to the depths of the heart where true belief or unbelief stay. Proverbs 4.23 says, out of the NLT, I was going through the different translations, and some say diligence, and some word it differently. Uh, But I remember hearing it this way uh, as I was a young lad, young Christian, and I was uh, sitting in the office today, and I'm like, which translation? And so I found it's the NLT, and it says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. So many times I talk to young people about what they are pouring into their heart. I was talking to a young man that I'll remain anonymous, right? But I was talking to him about situations in his life, and he was talking about how his, his thought life, right? How he just imagines the worst of things. And he just, his mind just, it'll go here, and then it plummets. And I was talking to him, and I'm like, have you ever thought about the things that you watch? Because he loves to watch horror movies. There's nothing funny. He's so wrapped up in indulging in his flesh, right, that he's watching this garbage, and it's getting into his heart and affecting his whole being. As a man thinks, so he is. What do we ponder on? The things that we allow in. The eyes are the window to the soul. So I tried to break it down for him. I told him I could sit here and I could reference scripture to you, but I don't think that's going to be fitting. So I'll just say it plain. If you think about it this way, if you fill a cup full of apple juice, is it going to taste like water? No. It's going to taste like apple juice, right? So if you take that same cup or your mind and you fill it full of crap, what's it going to taste like? What are you going to think about? What are you going to process? The garbage that you put into yourself is what affects you. We have to be mindful of guarding our heart because it directs, it determines the course of our life. Hebrews 4.13, and there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. All things. Nothing is hidden from the Lord. He's the one who created everything. Nothing is hidden. Ecclesiastes uh, 12, 13, and 14 is a good summary. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. There's going to be a time where things are going to be brought about. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful to the Lord that the things that I've done in my life that I'm ashamed of, right? The sinful things that I've done out of my flesh, that when that time comes, the blood of Christ has covered it. That I've been forgiven through grace, given by Christ, by faith, that's encouraged by James, that you have to act out. If you have faith and you don't have action that comes with it, you have nothing. Even the demons believe that there is one God and tremble. Last time I heard, there's not going to be demons in heaven. 
application. How do we apply this to our life, right? We've gone through, we've looked at the scripture, we've looked at the observations that we've made, we've looked at the interpretation of the text. You know, what is the author trying to say, not just to the, uh, the mix of Jews and Jewish Christians that he's talking to in the audience, but then also, right, what is he saying to us? So first, right, look at our awesome sheet, right? The best part about this is you get to take this home and then you have no excuse of why not to do a sonap tomorrow. I'm serious. Like there should, however many people that are in here and how many ever people that are watching at home, you should do a sonap. Like there is no reason why there shouldn't be close to 100 sonaps done tomorrow. And how pleasing would that be to the Lord that there would be 100 people who would spend the time to dig into his word to know him more. I know that when my kids are like, Dad, I want to hang out. Or Dad, let's go out and play Frisbee. Or Dad, let's work out. Or dad, let's read the Bible. Or dad, let's do this. I'm overjoyed. Like, let's go. I know that God is the same way. His heart is just filled up when his kids want to spend time with him, right? When we want to spend time with our father. So how do we apply the text? So reading from the heading, now that you've drawn out this meaning, how can it change your life? Never ask this question before you interpret interpretation before application, always, right? We need to fully know what the text says before we start trying to apply it to our life. Because if we just took our observation and tried to apply the observation to our life, we could have it totally wrong. Pastor Ben just, I think it was two weeks ago, was talking about false teachers, right? Taking stuff completely out of context, claiming things that are not true, but they feel good, they're tied up with emotions, If we take our observation and we try to apply just that observation to our life, there's no true power behind it, right? The only way that we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind is through the true application of the true interpretation of the text of Christ, of of God's word, right? So who does this text apply to? I suggest that it applies to everyone, right? We can all take from this text 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. It says all scripture. That means from Genesis 1-1 to end of Revelation, right? It's relevant in some kind of ways, is given by inspiration of God. So we go on to the next one. How is this text intended to be applied? What I got from that, right, and applying it to my life is a warning and an encouragement all in the same swoop. Warning to the ones who have not fully committed. Be warned. No one knows the time except for the Father. If, you don't, if you're not right with Christ, get right. Whatever's stopping you, whatever's holding you back, get on your face before the throne. The second part of that, right, is a blessed assurance to those who have. If you've given your heart to Christ, if you're full send, living for him as much as you can, and I'm not saying perfect, right? None of us are perfect, but daily, right? Luke 9, 23, if anyone should follow after me, let him deny himself daily and pick up his cross and follow me. We try and give it our best every single day, but there has to be that daily submission to the Lord. The next one, where is the text intended to be applied? Throughout the earth. Mark 16, 15, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. 
every creature. Didn't we just read before? And there is no creature hidden from his sight. Everything is created through him and by him. When is the text intended to be applied? Now. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. If you don't apply the text now, you might not get the chance to tomorrow. What is the best way to apply the text? Read God's word that you might believe. Get the word of God in you, right? Make those observations. Spend more time meditating on the word so you can make more observations so you can start interpreting the word, lining up the word with scripture, right? Diving in, reading commentaries, seeking out good teachers, right? Men of God who have gone forth and have studied the true word, find them. Everything is at the touch of an internet. If you can go on YouTube and watch some stupid video about a cat batting around a ball or a donkey yelling really loud, right? You can go and find a Bible app or you can go to Enduring Word or you can do like a multitude of different places where you can find commentaries that you can get filled up, that you can find ways to interpret the text. Romans 10, 17 says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Why should the text be applied? So we, we look at this text, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest any fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit into the joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Hell is real and awaits those who do not truly submit to Christ as Lord and repent from their ways. It's the fact. You just heard it this Sunday. We went over it in camp, Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. We have to make sure that we give God everything of us. Go full send with your faith. It's not perfection. It's full submission. Letting the Lord know that you want him to be all to you. That's what the text is saying. The author is telling them you have to give all of yourself. Nothing can be hidden. The things that you think are hidden aren't hidden. You may fool the people around you. You may fool the closest people to you with that hidden stuff that you have going on. God sees everything. Get right. The last one is what's at stake if the text is not applied? Just from what we just read, we see what's at stake. If we don't take the text seriously, right, there's only one outcome. The last part is prayer. This part is huge. We take the scripture, we take our observations, we take our interpretation, we take how we can apply it to our life. And then when you're journaling, right, you can write down your prayer. It could be as simple as a sentence, but you're taking something from here, thinking about it here, and then using this to write it down. You could write it on a three by five card if you want to and set it someplace that reminds you. Getting your heart out to the Lord, communicating. If I want to truly know my wife better, I ask her questions, I communicate, we talk. You can't go through life with someone that you want to grow closer to and not communicate, not talk. 
How crazy would that be if you just expected to grow up alongside next to someone and you do your life and they do theirs and expect to just be like the closest of pals? It doesn't happen. You go through things together. You communicate. You talk. That's what prayer is. You bring your requests before the Lord. Be hasty in nothing, but through prayer and petition, you bring your requests before the Lord. You talk to God about stuff. It's not just your wish list, right? God is not a vending machine. You go to the Lord with all your wants. You go to him with all your needs. You go to him with all your joys. You go to him with all your sorrows, your woes. You do life with him. Every day you give him honor and glory because he is the king and you communicate with him and you'll start to see that he communicates back, whether it's through subtlety, through the reading of his word that lines up with something that you've been praying about or thinking about or an encouraging word from someone or he brings something to your attention. He's faithful, but you have to put in the work. So that's what the prayer part of SONAP is all about. But Lord God, we come before you. I just thank you. I thank you for your word. I pray that, um, that if I have any heavy-handed words or anything that would come across any other way than what you would desire, I pray that you would just slap it down. Um, Father, I only want uh, for what you would have for your body to be um, displayed and communicated. Help us to take this seriously, Father. Help us to be diligent that we would stay the course in our faith so that we could enter that rest. Father, I pray for those who tonight are hearing and listening and their actions are one way and their faith is a totally different way. Father, I pray that you would bring them into a place of just submission, that they would understand the necessity of getting before you on their knees and submitting to you tonight. I pray that there would be a realness that would come along with that. I thank you for your word and how it shows us how to change and it, it cuts into the deepest places, Father, and, and, it, and it bears all that would be hidden. I thank you that the things that we think are hidden are exposed to you, but you love us so much that you gave your only son to die for us, that as he shed his blood and paid for our sin, that we could truly believe in our hearts and proclaim with our mouth that you are Lord and that we would repent from our ways and allow our faith and our action to line up. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the opportunity again tonight just to bring a hopefully somewhat simplistic way to study your word. And we just thank you for all that you are. Pray that you would be glorified. Amen.